Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me today to talk about a bunch of different things related to the world of Georgia sports is my co-host, Charlie. Charlie, I know, I gotta say this, for for a few weeks there, I was giving you a hard time about, I don't know, seeming like you had basically just given up on life, but I gotta say, when you you came into the studio here today, well, you seem, I don't know, chipper, maybe? Like, you seem like a totally different person. What's up? I don't know that anyone's ever used the word chipper to describe me. I would not have that on my top like thousand words to use to describe you but like you seem i mean it's just the the stark difference from the version of charlie i've seen in here the past couple of weeks versus what i see today is it the fact that spring has sprung i know that like you have like seasonal affective disorder is that what you call it sad sad yes where you get depressed during the winter i get that but like the weather was great this weekend is, is that what's going on here or are you just was tennis it was pretty great. I got to play tennis. Well, I got to watch tennis. It was all. It was like seventy-eight degrees out there at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex yesterday. It was. It was great. And I mean, I have, I have like sunburns all over my body now. Yeah, I forgot to buy sunscreen. Well, I mean, like, and I have like the. I obviously haven't been getting much sun lately. I have. You can see here, Charlie. The tell the audience what you see on my face. Oh, a protractor. Uh, protractor barcode, whatever you guys want to call it. I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's actually seeing what I look like. Um, I am uh, follically challenged, I guess is what we can say. There's not much going on up there. So as a guy who likes to be outside, runs, all that kind of stuff, I wear a hat often. And when I'm running, I, I also have, have sunny, need sunglasses on, right? When you're out there running for God knows how long doing stupid things. So my hat that I put on to protect my head so it doesn't get sunburned, it's hard to wear that frontwards because it like it just sits on top of my head and like falls off the way, like the, way it, the bill hits my sunglasses. So I wear it backwards. And the hat obviously has that little gap there at the back above the Velcro. So when you're out there running and it's sunny and all of a sudden – and you're sitting out there at a tennis match and it's sunny – and that little spot is open. Everything else is covered, but that, that one little spot, as you said, looks kind of like a protractor or a barcode or whatever people want to say. I get a lot of things that people say about what's going on there. And I got the sunglass line tan thing going on, so it's all just a disaster. Let's just say 
Fortunately, I'm working from home right now. No one at my place of work had to actually see what I look like today. But I'm, regardless, I'm glad that you're in a good mood. Tennis, the weather, anything else going on in your life? No. Just really, you really are this sad person, right? Like, and I mean that as in seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. Is that really a? Is it real? Real? Like really? Yes. Like just because the weather changes, you get sad. Well, because. You can't do the things that you would normally but do. But you can, like, but it's college basketball season and there's other things like that you can do. Basketball. Yeah, I mean, okay, fair, but I don't know. You can warm up beside a fire? I don't know. No, thanks. It's, there's Christmas time things, right? Valentine's Day? Oh, no, no, no. No, that's not, that's not a Charlie thing. No. It's not a Charlie thing. All right, anyway. All right, guys, enough of that. The mailbag questions, they keep coming in. So once again today, we're going to do our best to make some progress in answering all of those questions, at least as many of those questions as we can. Uh, and of course, there was some news that hit yesterday that we've got to talk about today. So we're going to go ahead and get right to it. Charlie, take it away. What do you got for me today? All right. Well, I'm sure those of you who are listening have heard the news that tight end Eric Gilbert has announced he is decommitting from Florida, or he already has, and is once again entering the transfer portal. I thought this was a joke when I saw it. When I first, I, Curtis texted me. He was like, Eric Gilbert, he liked the the, the face, he, head, in, head in hand emoji, face plant emoji, whatever you want to call that emoji. I thought, I was like, what are you talking about? Because I was at the tennis match. I wasn't looking at Twitter. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, he decommitted from Florida. I was like, shut up. Like, stop messing. Like, that's not well, possible. The, the kid's looking kind of wishy-washy. Like. You think so? Yeah, I mean... But how do you know that? Like, there could be a perfectly legitimate reason. I'm saying on the surface. I don't sure. know I don't know the reason. I'm saying I don't know the reason. It's kind of like, oh, so you left LSU, you went to Florida, now you're mm-hmm. decommitting from mm-hmm. Florida. Like, you got to make up your mind. Ostensibly, it's not a good look. Yeah. Yeah, so, fair. But obviously, as a former five-star for Marietta, a lot of Georgia fans are still holding out hope that he ends up in Athens for next season. So with that in mind, our first couple of questions are going to start... With the topic of Eric, Eric Gilbert. Gilbert and right. where Makes will sense. he end up. Right. So the first question is from Scott. He asks, what happened and do you think this could be good news for Georgia? Do we still have a shot? What happened? I I wish I had an answer for you, but I, I don't. It's one of those things I know when you run a podcast, you're supposed to have answers for questions like this, but... I don't. If I don't know something, I'm not going to sit here and make it up and tell you that I know the answer. I don't know what's going on. There's honestly no telling. There's any number of things. Of course, I've heard all the rumors. A lot of you guys, I'm sure, have heard. But I hate to even speculate on some of that stuff that I haven't really got any hard word about. Like I don't want to put that out there. Uh, not that anyone really listens to the show, but I don't want to put that out there because it's all, it's all it is. It's all speculation right now. And until I know for sure and I hear something more verifiable, I don't know if I want to put that out there. I did put some feelers out over the past day or so. And, and what I was told, what I can tell you, what I, what I was told was that he does have some gray concerns that he needs to take care of, but nothing that, it seems to be that it's nothing that is too crazy. Like these are things that he can take care of, but there's a reason what I was told was that, Hey, there's a reason why he was not enrolled in on campus of Florida. This guy has got to take care of some great issues and get that under control. He needs to focus on that. It's a reason why he wasn't working out with that team. So there's that. That's something that I have been told, but in terms of like, do we still have a shot? Well, I, I mean, yeah, there's a chance he's not committed anywhere anymore. So there's clearly a chance. And I personally would love to have him 
I, I don't know if we should be the favorites. I know a lot of people instantly jumped to the conclusion that, okay, well, he decommitted from Florida. He's from Georgia. He's a Marietta guy. So does that mean that he's coming to Georgia now? And yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I see why someone would think that. But again, I don't know. I, I don't have any idea. I don't have anyone that's told me, yeah, you know, he's, he's coming to Georgia. If I hear that, I will tell you guys. I'll come on here and say that. But I, I haven't heard that, so I can't report that. But all I can tell you is that I would love to have him. He's a talented guy that would give us another weapon on our offense. I mean, we have a ton of skill weapons coming back. I'm very excited about what this offense can be. And he would just be another weapon that you would add to the arsenal. And I think he could flourish under a guy like Todd Munkin, who just dialed up layup after layup for tight ends last year. For tight ends, receivers, running backs, you name it. He was dialing them up. We just simply couldn't execute consistently enough to make it happen. Uh, but he, I think he's a guy that we could do some special things with a tight end. And I know some people say, well, you are, we already have Darnell Washington. Do you really want to take touches away from Darnell if you throw in Eric Gilbert? Like, I get they both play the same position, but again, I've said this before. We were in 12 personnel a lot last year. I think a two tight end package of Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington is a lot more frightening for defenses than a two tight end package of Darnell Washington and John Fitzpatrick. Love Fitz. God bless you, man. But let, let's just be real here. Eric Gilbert is vastly more talented than John Fitzpatrick is. I think that would certainly fight, strike more fear in the hearts of defenses and put more stress on them trying to game plan for us. And yeah, again, they played the same position, but they also are, they kind of complement each other. They're different kind of tight ends. Gilbert's not near as much of an inline type guy like Darnell. Darnell can split out. I think Darnell might even be more versatile in the fact that he can play inline and can split out and do some things out wide at the receiver position. But I didn't think they can complement each other and be different kind of guys. And let's be real with what Eric Gilbert is. Eric Gilbert thinks he's a 200, 240, 245, however much he weighs, pound receiver. That's what he wants to be. That's what he thinks he is. He doesn't really have any interest in playing in line. And if you look at what we've done with our tight ends recently, I get why he chose Florida. They have that track record of putting guys like Kyle Pitts into the league and having him come out as first round draft picks. I know we haven't had the draft yet, but Kyle Pitts is going to be taking the first round. And they use him out wide. Basically, Eric Gilbert thinks he's Kyle Pitts. That's what he wants to be. That's how he sees himself as a tight end. A guy that is, yeah, a tight end, only a name, but he's really basically a receiver. So I get why he chose Florida, but again, I do think he could be a great compliment to Darnell Washington here in Athens. Is that going to happen? I, I wish I could tell you guys. I think we have a shot. That's all I can say is we have a shot. He's currently in the transfer portal. At least he's announced that he's going to go back in the transfer portal. And if he's in the portal, we've got a shot. He is here from Athens. We, we, our coaching staff does have a relationship with him. He's spurned us twice already. So it seems to be like maybe we're not as high on his list as a lot of people think we should be based on the fact that he's from Georgia. Maybe it's just not a place that he sees himself. But again, there's at least a chance. There's a chance. I will also say this too. Even if he doesn't end up in Athens, I think it helps us a ton just by the fact that he won't be at Florida. Obviously, Florida's our number one rival in the SEC East. They're the ones that we've got to get back on top of to take back the SEC East crown, get back to Atlanta, and have all of our playoff dreams in front of us, which I think I firmly think that we will this year. But Eric Gilbert would make that a tougher task. They're losing a lot of skill talent. I mean, pretty much all their skill players are leaving. And Eric Gilbert was going to be a nice replacement piece for a guy like Kyle Pitts. And we saw what they were able to do with Pitts last year. And Gilbert is a similarly similarly talented guy. So I think it hurts Florida more to lose him than it would help us if he ends up in Athens. It would help us if he ended up in Athens. He's a guy that can absolutely play. This guy's a former five-star guy. But even if he doesn't end up here in Athens, I think we still benefit just 
by virtue of the fact that he's no longer going to be playing at Florida. Because without him, I don't know where Florida turns for playmakers. They're going to have to they're going to have to manufacture some some things this year in ways they didn't have to do last year. They don't have guys that can just throw the ball up to and go out and make plays for them. So I think it definitely hurts them a lot more than it would help us if he ends up in Athens. Just want to put that out there. All right. Our next question is from Christopher. He asked, do you think the decision by Tommy Bush to enter the transfer portal had an impact on Eric Gilbert's decommitment from Florida? Yeah, it's a good question, uh, Christopher. I appreciate it, man. I, I see why you would draw the connection between the two because they kind of happened over the same weekend. Tommy Bush, wide receiver here, decides he's going he's gonna to move on and transfer, which wasn't really altogether surprising me. I thought he might stick it out through spring drills to kind of see where he was in the pecking order on the depth chart after spring practice, but he decided to go ahead and make that move. And then shortly after that, you have news that Eric Gilbert is decommitting from Florida and back in the transfer portal. I, however, would not say that they are connected because we had room for Gilbert when he first committed to Florida back in January. Tommy Bush leaving opens up another scholarship, but we already had available scholarships for Eric Gilbert when he first committed to Florida. So I don't really think there's a connection there. Again, I see why you would draw that connection because they, again, happened right back to back like that. But we had, I think we had two spots. I think we were at 83 scholarships going to the late signing period. I think now we're at 82. So we have two or three available right now. So yeah, he, we have room now for Gilbert. And I think we also had a room for him back in in January. I just don't think that they really have anything to do with each other. All right. One more question about Eric Gilbert. Brian says, with all the drama surrounding Eric Gilbert over the last six months or so, he really seems like a malcontent. Should Georgia even want him on the team? And at what point is the talent not worth the headache? This situation makes me think of the running back from last year. Zach Evans. Yes. Right. Absolutely. This is what I'm thinking about. And it's like, I don't like drama. I huh. don't like confrontation. It I don't just, know if any of our listeners picked up on it that. It just gives me a headache, and at some point, it just becomes too much. So, but what? Like but Brian, what? It's a good question. But what is the point of too much when you're that talented? Because Eric Gilbert undeniably is a freakish athlete, right? And that's what you have to ask Kirby Smart because he's the one in charge. Yeah, but we're asking you. Hmm. Here's okay. Let me start by saying this. I think in calling Eric Gilbert a malcontent, again, Charlie, like you said earlier, I understand on the surface why someone would say that, but I think we're making some assumptions here in calling him a malcontent. Like coming out and just saying, yeah, there's something wrong with this guy. He's, I've heard, you know, the gamut. I've heard people say, I'm not saying that either. We don't know this. We don't, we don't know the behind the scenes. We don't know all of that. We don't know what happened at Florida. You know. and, and, and I get like, when you're in a podcast and you're on social media, you draw those conclusions, right? Like typically like you just say, well, it could be this, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little bit different. Maybe I'm old school. I don't like to put th- that bad juju out there unless like I have some like verifiable information that right. I can say we this guy's a bad dude. We don't know the whole story. Yeah. We just don't. And like, We never will. Well, I mean, well, maybe we will. Like, well, we, probably the not. Zach Evans stuff came out. Like, we know what happened. We know what went down with Zach Evans, and and there were think about what back when that went down. There were all those rumors out there, this and that, and you know, eventually we find out the real story. And, and maybe we won't hear, but there's a chance. But I just I hesitate to draw those conclusions and make those assumptions without really knowing. I just like I err on the side of let's assume he's not a bad guy until we know he's a bad guy, right? Like, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. That's just me. I know maybe I'm weird and different, but I just that's kind of how I operate. 
And again, Charlie, you're right. And and Brian, you're right. And everyone out there who's asking, like, I think understandable questions about like, what's going on with this guy? I understand where the questions come from. And I get it. It's not a good look. I will readily acknowledge that. But as you said, Charlie, we just really don't know what went on behind the scenes here. Maybe there is like a perfectly good explanation. Maybe he just met Dan Mullen for the first time. You know, like when you meet him in person, maybe it's like, oh my God, I can't play for this guy. Or it maybe might that be happened. a situation where someone in his family, God forbid, got sick and he needed to be even closer right. to home. And that was the the whole idea of him coming, at least the word, initially with him wanting to transfer from LSU was that he wanted to get closer to home. Now, I do question that when home is married at Georgia and you say, I want to get closer to home and you transfer to Gainesville, Florida. Yes, Gainesville is closer to Atlanta than... About the, three hours. Yeah, than Baton Rouge. But like if, it's, if it's really about you want to be close to your family, then why are you leaving the state of Georgia? I agree. So, I mean, look, again, that's here's here I am drawing conclusions and making these assumptions when I don't really know. But, like, I don't know. That that always kind of was like, was it really about getting closer to home? Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Uh... But yeah, look, he could be a malcontent. He could be, as Brian says, be a malcontent, be a guy that you don't want on your team. But you just, I, I just, I don't know enough about him personally to know if that's the case. So I'm just personally not going to go there until more light is shed. And Charlie, you brought up Zach Evans. I had him in my notes here. I was going to bring up Zach Evans, so I'm glad you brought him up. Zach Evans is a little bit different. I, I do get where you're coming from and saying like, it reminds you of Zach Evans because here's some guys like where there's at least character questions now for whatever reason. But with Zach Evans, we had verifiable knowledge of multiple issues with him, like with his coach getting suspended, right. it, kicked off teams. Gilbert not, hasn't that we know yeah. have heard that. Now there are rumors flowing out there that there's there's some really nasty rumors flowing out there about Eric Gilbert that I'm not going to put out on this podcast. You guys can go search message boards and Twitter and find all those rumors for yourself if you haven't heard them already. I don't know if those are true. If I get more information that that stuff is true, then I'll put it out here. I just, I feel icky putting that out there if I don't know that's true. With Zach Evans, I was openly telling you guys, this guy was, he was flat out a straight up malcontent. For a long time, I said, well, he's worth the chance. Like that guy's that talented. He's worth the risk. And because what I always said with, with Zach Evans was, if it doesn't work out, if he gets into Athens and he's a headache, you just kick him off the team. Like, there's nothing on there that says he got to stay on the team. You put strict rules in place for this guy. You give him guidelines and say, here's what you got to do. If you don't do ABC, you're off the team. If he doesn't do ABC, he's off the team. So I thought it was, the, it was a no-lose proposition. You just take the guy. That's what I thought. But we even with Zach Evans, I knew that was a risk because we know he had issues with his team, with his coach, not showing up to practice, just doing all sorts of different things, getting suspended. And uh, that was concerning. With Eric Gilbert, like, you have this this potential that there are some issues behind the scenes, but they're not as open as they were with Zach Evans. So I just, I don't know. Um, but yeah, like I, I, should George even want him on the team? My answer would be yes to, to, to your actual question. Would we even want him on the team? Yes. I will say the same thing as I will say with Zach Evans. I understand guys that your team's culture, your locker room culture is a big deal. I'm a big time believer in that. Absolutely. So here I am kind of contradicting myself but again, what I would say is, if you take Eric Gilbert, you don't have to keep him on the team for the next two, three, four years. You can put very strict guidelines in place and be very clear with them up front and say, this is what we expect from you. If you don't do A, B, C, whatever, you are not going to be a part of this team. And if he breaks those, those rules and doesn't live up your expectations, he's off the team. No harm, no foul. He goes somewhere else. He's not your problem anymore. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want him on the team. But then at the first sign of him being a locker room cancer, then you got to get him off the team. But I, I think 
a guy that talented, you at least give him a chance if he wants to come to Athens. And I don't know if he wants to come to Athens. Again, he's spurned us twice. Maybe he just doesn't want to come to Athens. I don't know. But obviously, we will be watching this very closely. He said that he's not going to announce where he's going. He's just going to show up at school uh, and enroll, and we'll find out then, which is what I thought he was going to do all along anyway before he committed to Florida. I thought he would just show, because I knew he was at, he was at home taking classes at home. I thought he would just show up over the summer somewhere, and then we'd find out, oh, yeah, now he's in Gainesville, or now he's in Athens, now he's in Tuscaloosa or wherever. But I guess we won't know until we know. And once we know, we'll certainly have it covered for you guys here on the Glory UGA podcast. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Well, I think we've sufficiently covered that topic, so let's move on to something a little more fun and different. Um, I went through a list of our mailbag questions and picked out a few that I thought would be entertaining and interesting to talk about. And, and I don't know these questions yet. I, okay. the, I, I knew the Eric Gilbert stuff was coming, but you picked these out, and I, I haven't looked at these yet. Because okay. you told me that you wanted to surprise me with some of these questions, so okay. I don't know what's coming. So it should be some good off-season conversation. So Aaron asked the first question. If you were starting a team tomorrow, mm-hmm. which quarterback would you choose to build your team around? Mm-hmm. You have four choices. Aaron Murray, Jake Fromm, mm-hmm. Justin Fields, mm-hmm. or Brock Vandegrift? Oh, okay. Wow, what a question. Who is this from? I'm going to write one down. Okay, on write, paper. write it down and see who I'm going to pick. Yeah, okay, write it down. I want to see if you can guess who I'm going to say. I know, everyone, I know everyone out there is thinking I'm going to say Jake Fromm, right? Everyone thinks I'm going to say Jake Fromm because that's the former president of the Jake Fromm fan club. Okay, I'm writing it down that, on right? this note, sticky note, and I'm gonna fold it up, and then we'll look at it after you're done giving a 15 minute rant. And this is not gonna be 15. This is like, I don't have enough notes. I this is I don't have notes for this, so it's not gonna be 15 minutes. Okay, off the top of my head, man, this is who is this from? Well, who is this? Aaron. Aaron. A. A. Ron. Yes. A. A. Ron. Let's go. Um. All right. A. A. Ron. Great question, man. This is fun. All right. I think most people out there would say Justin Fields, right, Charlie? Would most people say Justin Fields? Probably. Would you say Justin Fields? No. Okay, I won't come back to you. I'm going to write who I think you would pick. I'm going to do this exercise too. All right, so I know it's not Justin Fields, so I'm kind of cheating. I think Charlie's going to say... I know who Charlie's going to say. Don't look. Don't look. Uh-uh. Get out of here. All right. So I think most people would say Justin Fields because, I mean, and I get that. It's hard to argue against Justin Fields here because we've seen him do it on the field at the college level. This guy is going to be a first-round draft pick now where he gets taken the first round. I don't know. He seems to be falling in some of these mock drafts, but he's still going to be taken the first round. So we've seen that. We've seen him win a playoff game, get to a national title game. Only lost, I think, two games in his career. I think that's right. So this guy... 
played and won at a high level. It's really hard to not say Justin Fields based off that resume. So I would not fault anyone if they said that. But I'm going to say Brock Vandergriff. Yeah? Who did you have? Who did you have? i got to see this. Brock Vandergriff. Really? Yeah. Am I that predictable? I thought for sure everyone was thinking I would say Jay Fromm. No. Just because you were the president of the Jay Fromm fan club doesn't mean he's like the quarterback you would choose for right. all time. And see, that's the people get, like people, like, that was I've our taken, best yeah. choice at the yeah. time. We, yeah. Would I, you take Aaron Murray or Jake Fromm? Oh, Aaron Murray. Right. Like Aaron Murray's the best quarterback in Georgia history. Jake Fromm was the best we had at the time. He was the best choice at that time. That's not. That's been my point. That's not who yes. you're going to yes. choose. Yes, yes, yes. Out of and, these four. And you know, I've taken a lot of heat. If there's one thing I've taken more heat over than anything in our time to this podcast is like being the president of the Jake Fron fan club. And I think people misconstrue that. They act as though like, it, they. I guess maybe I've given the impression, I'm sure it's me, I've given the impression that I think Jake Fron is like the greatest quarterback that's ever played at Georgia and like it should be an All-American. No, no. But all, all I was trying to say, as Charlie said, is like Jake Fromm was better than people gave him credit for. Was Jake Fromm an All-American? No, of course not. But Jake Fromm did a lot of things really well, and I think he was unfairly just beaten down because of the Fields Fromm comparison. And I don't think that had anything to do with him. I think Jake Fromm on the field in, in practice with this program did everything he could for the University of Georgia, and I just felt like he was unfairly criticized there. So that's kind of why I named myself the president of the Jake Fromm fan club and took on that position, just because I thought he deserved more credit than he received. But again, it doesn't mean that he's a better athlete or a better long-term player or a higher ceiling than a guy like Justin Fields or anything like that. But yeah, so I thought I thought you would say, I thought I just think everyone assumes I think Jake Fromm is like the greatest player in the history of football. No. Because I, I, that's, what, that's what I get killed for sometimes, like my Jake Fromm fanness or, or whatnot. Uh, but anyway, you know, whatever. If you're the quarterback for Georgia, you're my guy. That's just the bottom line. Whether you're Aaron Murray, Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, he was here, Brock Vandegraaff, you are my guy. That's just how I operate. But I, I am going to say Brock Vandegrift here. And hear me out, guys. I know some of you are probably saying, what are you talking about? We don't know anything. We haven't seen Brock Vandegrift at the college level. We don't know if this guy is going to be a bust or, or what. And at least we know with Justin Fields that this guy's going to be a first-round draft pick, won a playoff game, played national title, and lost two games. That's a heck of a resume. It's really hard for me to argue against that. And I probably wouldn't if somebody picked Justin Fields. But here's why I would say Brock Vandegrift. And this is all based on potential. Obviously, I'm making a projection here. Projection, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. It's a projection. But I do think that Brock Vandegrift is a more advanced quarterback coming out of high school than Justin Fields was. And I don't even think that's really arguable. And again, I'm not saying that Brock Vandegrift has a higher physical ceiling than Justin Fields. I am not saying that. Justin Fields is obscenely talented and is a very good quarterback. But he just didn't have near as much experience playing quarterback in high school as Brock Vandegrift has had. Now, I know Justin Fields played a higher classification. Absolutely true. That that bears mentioning too. You, you, you got to throw that in there. We know that Brock Vandegrift plays in 1A private or played in 1A private. And that's the lowest classification in Georgia. And if you've ever watched some of those games, you see some of those dudes. It's like, oh my God, like really, these are high schoolers. But I will also say in Brock's defense, against the best talent, the best teams in 1A private, he, had, he played his best games. He was lights out against the best teams. I mean, he's a big time performer. And I just think he's more advanced as a quarterback coming out of high school, doing the things that quarterbacks have to do, you know, like reads, progressions, just had more experience making decisions back there, just having experience doing that, having experience running an offense. He had more experience than Fields. Fields only had two years of the starter. He was hurt for about half of that time. So I do like that about Brock. I'll give Brock the edge there. Fields is clearly more athletic and has a better overall physical profile. 
I think that's pretty clear. But I would also say that Brock, while not as athletic as Justin Fields, is plenty athletic enough to be a dual threat guy at the next level and be a threat with his legs, which is really all we need him to be, a guy that can pose a threat with his legs. And I think he can clearly do that. And if you've listened to this show and heard me talk about Brock Vandegrift, again, I know this is projection. And we don't know, we haven't seen him at the college level, but I am really sold on Brock Vandegrift. I think I've probably made that pretty clear. I think he has the it quality, that nebulous it quality, whatever that means. Um, he's got an incredible amount of toughness. He's a leader. He's been the guy. Yeah, 1A private, I get it. But he's been the guy for three plus years. I just love the makeup of this guy. I love what he's about. Um, and I think he's going to be a big time player at Georgia. And I could be very wrong on this. And if I'm wrong on it, then I will come back here and I will eat my crow and, um, everybody can make fun of me, point and laugh and do all that, do the public shaming, all the things that happen on podcasts in this day and age, if you get something wrong. Uh, but I, yeah, I would go Brock. I just think, think he's a total package just from like the, the QB IQ standpoint, the football IQ standpoint, have that toughness, the it factor, the athleticism. Because Brock's a pretty big guy, guy. I mean, dude, he's a pretty big dude, guys. About 6'3". I mean, he's really well put together. He hits the weight room hard. I really like... Now, I, I will say Brock has had some injury concerns. That's fair to put that out there as well. But I'm really high on his upside. And I, I think Brock's going to be a big-time player for us here in Athens. You mentioned Aaron Murray, Charlie. Um, I love Aaron Murray. I, I absolutely... Like, if I had this podcast back when Aaron Murray was playing, I would have been the president of the Aaron Murray fan club. Like, as much as everyone thinks that I love Jake Fromm, you know this, I loved Aaron Murray more, right? Like... You can go back years, and you can you can tell everyone on here, right, that I was a massive Aaron Murray guy. And let's not forget, back in the day, Aaron Murray was getting killed all the time about not being able to win the game, the big game. I'm like, what do you want this man to do? This man's breaking every record in Georgia quarterback history, but it's his fault that his defense can't stop anybody. So uh, I love me some Aaron Murray. I think he was fantastic. As I said earlier, the best Georgia quarterback in the history of our program, in my opinion. I know we've had some good quarterbacks. Trust me, I know. There's got Fran Tarkenton, you got Eric Zier. Uh, you got you got David Green, you've got DJ Shockley. I know all those guys are great, and maybe this is bias, my bias, because this was kind of my era, I guess. You know, I, I didn't see. I was really young when Eric Zier was playing, and I didn't know much about football that time. I was a kid. Um, I was in high school when David Green was playing, so I saw a lot of David Green. I just think Murray was fantastic. I think Murray was just a better overall quarterback. Uh, but I, again, going with Brock, I think he has a higher upside than Murray did with uh, with his size and athleticism. But great question, A. Aaron. Appreciate it, man. All right. Our next question. Oh wait, who did you oh, say okay. I would? Say? All right. Tell me who you tell me who you th- who you would pick. Brock Vandegrift. Really? Yeah. So I said you were going to pick Aaron Murray. I thought you would go with Aaron Murray. Brock Vandegrift's more versatile for today's offense. The ability to run the legs. Yeah. He's a good. He's a good quarterback, man. I'm. Yeah. I are you excited about him as I am, or am I just like. I mean, I don't get excited about too much. You don't get excited about anything, do you? Like the weather. You get excited about, oh my God, it's 78 and sunny. Yay, I'm happy now. (laughs) Fun times. I'm glad glad that makes you happy. All right. Our next question is from Craig. Excuse me. It's two parts. Okay. So if you could ask Kirby Smart one question, Mm -hmm. and he has been given a truth serum in this situation. Okay. So he has to tell the truth? He has to tell you the truth. Okay. What would you ask him? Uh Uh-huh. Oh. And then if you could give Kirby Smart one piece of advice that he had to follow, what advice would you give him? I am not qualified to give Kirby Smart advice well, on... We know that. I mean, I would say I could give him advice on like a haircut, but I have no hair. So like I, I said, these are for fun. Okay, all right. So I can ask him one question, mm-hmm. and he has to tell me the truth. He has to tell me the truth. 
has to tell you the truth. Well, I mean, I think there's an obvious one here, right? Can you get where my mind's going? What's the obvious? We just talked about this. I have no idea. Justin Fields. Like, the obvious thing I think I would really want to know is... That's what you would want to know? I mean, there's a couple things. I I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind, maybe because we were just talking about Justin Fields, but I think the first thing that comes to mind would be, hey, Kirby, if you could go back in time to 2018, would you start Jake Fromm over Justin Fields? Would you, knowing what you know now, would Justin, would Jake from not flaming out, but you know, being what a fifth round draft pick and being the emergency quarterback for Buffalo Bills and Justin Fields going on to play a national title game, I guess, which from also did, by the way, um, and then be a first round pick, would you still start Jake from over Justin Fields in 2018? You, that's I mean, not the obvious question to you? No. What it would you ask a, him? I, I don't know, but that's not what I would ask him. I think. Most Georgia fans would ask him that because that's that's what he gets killed for more than anything. The fake punt and then the Justin like some Georgia fans, even if Kirby Smart reels off like nine national championships in a row and like breaks Nick Saban's record, there will still be some Georgia fans that say, "Well, Justin Fields, well Justin Fields, that one time, 2018, like they will never forgive him for that." And I and, I, and look, you can have your opinion totally. I, I've made I don't want to go into that whole rabbit hole because I've made my opinion very clear on, on that and talk about that ad nauseum on the show. But there are some fans who will never forgive Kirby for that. And on some level, I guess I get it because you know national championships and all. Like if you think if you think Justin Fields was the answer for national championship. Which, say, is a good argument you made. I mean, I've made that argument, too. Like, if, if he stays, he's probably going to win the job in 2019. And who knows? We might have won the national title in 2019. Now, we had a lot of re- issues at receiver and injuries there. But it'd been great. Um, probably win the national title this year if we had Justin Fields as our quarterback. So, I get where you're coming from on that. I just, again, just going. I said I wasn't going. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I said I'm not going there. We're not going there. But, yeah, I think that's the first thing that comes to mind. You, what would you ask Kirby? Seriously, what would you ask Kirby if you could ask him one thing? Oh, I have no idea. Hmm. Okay, here's another one. All right, so he's known as this, like this big time recruiter, right? I would just ask him point blank, like, what is it about you that makes you such a dominant recruiter? Like, yeah. what is like what quality do you have that makes you so much better than everyone else at this? I I would ask him why he made that video last week where he was calling and hanging up on people on TikTok. It was hilarious, but like without any context, it was like, what there is was going no on? Context. I I watched it. I was like. And I did not understand the purpose of the video. I yeah, like what what is what is going on here? But you have to you know who that was targeted to, right? That was all for recruits. It's like, hey, look yeah. how fun I am. Look at yes. how my look how much my I players love me. That, look at the relationship like, we have. It also doesn't make sense. It's not he doesn't care if you I know, get I know, what's happening. I know, I know, I know, I know. Do you I even think there needed to be some like Do you even have an Instagram account or you don't have any of those accounts? You you have no, a Twitter account. Twitter. But that's it. Like, you don't have any other social media. No. So, clearly, he's not targeting you no. with that video. Obviously. So, it's okay if you don't understand. Right. But, anyway. So, okay. Fair enough. Uh, here's another question for you. Oh, this would be a juicy one. Hey, Kirby. What do you really think about Dan Mullen and Nick Saban? Like, the uh, unfiltered truth. What do you really... Because you will never get that from him, like, in a, in a coach-speak no. setting. Never, ever. All yours, oh, Dan's a great coach. You know, yeah, you know, we've gone up in a lot of times. There's a lot of trouble. And, oh, Nick's great. You know, he's won so many titles. I want to know, what do you really think of those guys as guys? What do you think of Dan Mullen and Nick Saban? That would be... That would be... Uh, that, that might be my question. Because that would be high-quality entertainment. Because I can tell you... I. I'd be much more interested to hear him just rail on Dan Mullins. There's obviously no love loss there. I mean, Saban, he's got to have at least some level of respect for. I don't think he has any respect for Dan Mullins. I mean, because what self-respecting man would have respect for Dan Mullins? I don't think anyone would. 
But anyway, that's a great question. Hey, guys, I'm curious. Let us know on Twitter. You can hit us up at Glory underscore UGA. What question would you ask Kirby Smart? If you had to answer one question truthfully, maybe I'll put this question out there and see what you guys say. I'm curious because I'm sure I'm, I'm off the top of my head. That's what comes to mind. If I have more time to think about it, maybe I'll come up with something more. But yeah, I think the Justin Fields thing would be would be a popular question. And I would love to know what he thinks about Dan Mullen and Nick Saban for sure. Interesting. All right, what's up next? It's a good one. You didn't answer the other part of the Oh, question. what's the other one? Oh, what advice? What advice would you give him if he had to follow it? Uh, see, this is tricky, man, because Kirby Smart knows a heck, so much more about football than I could ever dream of knowing. I don't think I'm qualified to give this man any any advice, but eh, I, I run a podcast, got to answer these questions. All right, here's what I would say. And it's one thing, I'll just go back to, uh, maybe this is, I, don't know, I guess this is a criticism, but something I've been saying for a little while now, unleash the havoc. Let your pass rushers loose to do what they do best. I mean, like how do you slow down all these high-powered offenses that are running college football now? You harass the quarterback and make them uncomfortable in the pocket. We saw Ohio State do that to Trevor Lawrence in, in the playoffs this year. That is how you defeat these high-powered offenses. Because if you let them sit back there, they're going to pick you apart. Offenses are too advanced today. They're too advanced. The rules favor offenses far too much. The, the way that you can still affect these offenses and slow them down is to get after the quarterback. I think we have the guys to do it. Azino Jalari is going to be a first-round draft pick. And he played well. I think he had 15 sacks and 13 starts in his time here in Georgia. Aziz could have done far more to rush a passer. And it's not an indictment on Aziz. We didn't allow him enough and our other passers enough to just pin their ears back and go after the quarterback because we were so dead set on slowing down the run. And I get wanting to slow down the run because you want to make teams one-dimensional. I still believe that you have to be able to stop the run to play good defense. I still believe that. But I think there's a happy medium there. I think we have to be willing to sacrifice at least some against the run to create more havoc. I think it would give us a net gain against some of these more high-powered offenses. We have just got, like a couple years ago, remember the offseason talk was about, oh yeah, we want to create more havoc on defense. We want to create more havoc on defense. And we, like, I guess we created a little bit more havoc on defense in 2019, but it was almost like that was just like surface level talk. Like it was just a talking point. And we didn't really see much of a difference in how we approach things defensively that year. What I'm calling for, and I would, my advice for is like, change your approach. Change your approach on what you do on standard downs. Now, we get after quarterbacks. We get exotic on third down. We get our dime package on the field if we, can get them, if we can get teams to third and long. But we need to be more aggressive rushing the passer and more effective rushing the passer on early downs, not just waiting until we get teams to third and long. Because basically our philosophy is we're going to stone the run on first and second down, get you in a third and long, and then we'll unleash our pass rushers and unleash hell on you and we'll come after you. But you know what teams do to counter that? Well, they just throw the ball on first and second down when we don't have our dime packages in there and they realize that we're not really going all out to rush the passer. We've got to change that. So just be more aggressive on early downs. That would be my... And like again, I, I feel weird giving Kirby smart advice. I think he understands the the give and take there. I just wish that he would change his approach a little bit on that. And I, I hope that happens coming up. Because I think if, if we want to accomplish what we want to accomplish and win national title, I do think that's a piece to the puzzle that we've got to gotta have. All right, one more question. This one is from Daryl. If you could change one rule in college football, what would it be? One rule in college football. Okay, so uh okay. Oh here's what targeting. I understand the need to protect players and protect the game, honestly. You don't want people to stop playing football because they're getting their heads knocked off. I understand that. I, and I think there's a place for a targeting call. Here's what I would say. We need to tier targeting. 
right? There needs to be an intent element involved in targeting. You need to have the officials be able to judge intent. And I just people say, well, we don't want to get in the business of having officials make, you know, judgment calls and, and, and have them judging intent. We do that. We have a penalty called intentional grounding where the officials are literally trying to determine, did the quarterback intend to throw the ball away? Like, was that his intent? Don't tell me that our officials are that dumb that they cannot judge intent. We all watch college football. You can tell when a guy's deliberately headhunting and when a guy is trying to get out of the way, trying to put his shoulder into it, trying to do it the right way, and then because the the target of the receiver or the ball carrier changes because he falls down or he moves after the defender's already left his legs and then he happens to hit him in the head because the, the target has changed, that's not only the defender. Literally, what is the defender supposed to do? So if you want to call that a penalty, fine. Let's call it a 15-yard penalty to, to still try to keep that stuff out of the game. That's fine. But ejecting guys when you can clearly see there was an effort to not hit the person in the head when there was no intent there. I think we have to tear it like you do in college basketball. We have flagrant ones and we have flagrant twos. We do it in another college sport. Why can we not tear targeting? It makes no sense to me. It's an obvious solution to this problem. Like when Richard LeCount earlier this year or last year got ejected for targeting from the Auburn game, Richard wasn't trying to hit anybody in the head. If you want to call that a 15-yard penalty, fine. But there is no need to throw Richard LeCount out of that football game. And you see it almost every game. Somebody's getting, I don't say every game, but you see it multiple times every Saturday. Somebody's getting thrown out of games that has no business being thrown out of the game because they were not trying to deliberately hit somebody in the head. And I think you can you can change that by putting a tier in place where you say, okay, this was intentional or this was just, you know, yeah, he hit him in the head, but he wasn't trying to hit him in the head. I think, I think our officials are smart to do that. And I think that's something that needs to be changed right away. Uh, I would do that one. If I want to throw one more bonus one here, I would say let's make pass interference like the NFL pass interference rule where it's a spot foul. Because far too often what defenders do, if they're, if they're beat, they just basically tackle guys out there. And why would you not? If you're beat down the field on a, on a go route, yeah, tackle the receiver. It's only a 15-yard penalty. Make it a spot foul and you'll start to see less of that. So yeah, that's another rule I would change. But definitely the targeting. I would tier that for sure. You're a podcast listener. And this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Is that it? That's it for today. All right, that's it for the questions. All right, we got a few minutes left here, so it's time for some more Georgia tennis talk. Charlie, you got some time? Yeah. All right, let's make this happen. So, First off, once again, the men's tennis team, we'll start with the men this week because they were at home and we actually got to see those matches. But once again, the men's tennis team was shorthanded this weekend as they hosted the Mississippi schools over the weekend. Blake Croyder had been out with a back injury that he suffered in the match against Tennessee. I think we would have beaten Tennessee if he doesn't get hurt, but it is what it is. Uh, he also did not play on Friday at home against Ole Miss. A match had to be moved indoors, which sucked, but, you know, whatever. And that, once again, with Blake out, that threw every doubles team off. Had guy, he, plays, he normally plays court force, singles force, so that meant guys playing 
on courts four through six had to move up a court. Tyler Zink was back off of COVID protocol on court two singles. But to make matters worse, our number one singles player, Trent Bride, was clearly not himself, Charlie. Like you, you saw that. Like you texted me like, he doesn't look right. We were on yeah. opposite sides of, of the indoor facility again. And you're like, what's wrong with Trent? He doesn't look like he's playing like he normally does. And you're right. He didn't look like he was moving as well as he normally does. Didn't seem, seem to be as much power on his serve and in his forehands, those ground strokes. And surely enough, you're exactly right. He had to retire with a back injury of his own after the first set. So once again, yeah, Tyler Zink came back. That's great. But once Trent retired, that means we were once again down two of our top four singles players. This time, our number one singles player was out. We did win the doubles point versus Ole Miss, but with Trent and Blake out and our bottom three course all having to play up a court, it was we like I knew it was gonna be an uphill battle. Like I got really nervous. Once I saw that Trent was something was wrong with Trent, I started to get really nervous. And we did end up losing that match, unfortunately. We tried to make a run there late, but we were just too short-handed, could not get that done. And like we were, were so like, don't you think we were so much better than that team? Oh yeah. Like what, looking at Ole Miss team, they should. I don't want to say they should have been on the same courts as us, but when we were healthy, if we were healthy, we might win that match 4-0. Like yeah. I mean, honestly, 4-0. But we weren't no, healthy. We well, that's the thing. In tennis, I don't think your average fan understands. Like if you lose one player, let alone two players in your normal singles lineups, it throws everything out of whack. Your double teams are all thrown into disarray. Everybody's playing up a court against better competition that maybe they're not quite ready for. It's just, it's really tough to handle. And um, we could not overcome it on Friday against Ole Miss, but then fast forward to Sunday against number 22, Mississippi State, Blake Kreuter does return but Trent Bride was not able to suit up. We saw him trying to warm up. He tried to get out there in uniform. He was trying to make it happen. So I got to give him some credit. But he didn't feel good enough to give it a go. So that's tough. When your number one singles player is not playing again, that makes it tough. The doubles lines are all messed up again. Blake, yeah, Blake Corder was playing, but still wasn't, he clearly was not close to 100%. He had nothing on his serves. His ground strokes had very little on them. Very un-Blake Corder-like. But I got again, got to give him credit as well for toughing out. He knew his team needed him. He knew this was a big match, and he went out there and gave it everything he had. So even though he wasn't 100%, I'm really proud of Blake to see him out there show that kind of grit and that kind of toughness and putting it on the line for his team. But we won the doubles point again, which has kind of been miraculous throughout all these injuries in the doubles lineups being shifted all over the place. We still keep winning the doubles point. We we got the doubles point against Tennessee. No, I'm sorry, we lost the doubles point against Tennessee. We were on the way to winning that doubles point when Blake got hurt and we were up a break on court one. And uh, then once he basically couldn't move, we ended up losing that match and lost the doubles point. But we won the doubles point against Ole Miss and against Mississippi State. But now against Mississippi State with Trent out, every single singles player had to play up a court because Trent plays number one singles. And by the way, Trent's ranked inside the top 10 guys. He's number nine nationally. He's a top 10 player in America. But our guys, man, they showed some serious toughness, showed some guts, and showed up in a big way. Tyler Zink was playing up on court one. I think maybe the first time. Is that the first time you've seen him play on court one? Yes. I don't think he played on there at all last year. But Zink ranked number 73 in the country, defeated number 36, Giovanni Ordani, on court one. Number 18, Phil Henning, also dominated in straight sets. Zink and Phil both won in straight sets on courts one and two, which was huge on Sunday. And then Billy Rowe, who has been so huge, such a huge addition as a grad transfer from Vanderbilt, he fought off two set points in the second set tiebreak to win the tiebreak and the match outright to clinch the overall match. So our guys, and they end up playing everything out. We end up winning that match 5-2. So Charlie, I mean, that was that was a big W. We really needed that one heading into a tough road trip this weekend 
at Florida and at South Carolina. I mean, if we start off 0-3 in conference, you're sharing a tough road trip. I mean, you could easily be 0-5 if we still have those injuries to deal with. That's, so this was a huge win. But Charlie, my question for you here is, what did you learn about this Georgia men's tennis team this weekend? Tough. Just some, t- some real toughness. Yes. I, who are you more impressed with? Tyler Zink up there on court one coming off COVID protocols, and he's struggled some coming off of COVID, but responded with a huge victory on court one against a top 40 player. Or Blake Corder, which I don't know if our listeners know this. I don't know if we put it out there yet, but Blake Corder had won 21 matches in a row in dual match play. So he had a streak on the line, and he knew he wasn't 100%. He knew if he went out there, there's a chance he was going to lose and his streak would be over. But he didn't care. He went out there and put it, put it all out there on the court for his team. He was playing up a court on court three. Who are you more impressed with, Blake or Tyler Zink? I mean, Blake fought. He played as well as he could have. He's hurt. I mean, he clearly – or do you agree with me? Right. He clearly was not 100%. Absolutely. His serve was – I mean, it was – Not powerful. It was weaker than what his typical second serve is. Right. But I was very impressed with Tyler Zink. He won 6-3 – 6-2? I'm in 6-3, 6-4. Six, six, let me look it up here. 3-6-4? I, I mean, it was, he was never, it was never in doubt. No. he and 6-3, 6-4. His first six, time three, on six, four. court one, I thought that was very impressive. He was very proud of himself. All of the coaches were very proud of himself. Teammates. His teammates And that thing that says something about Tyler Zink, the kind of guy he is, that everyone on the team was so excited for him that he was put up on court one in a tough spot and rose the occasion and won that match. I think that says a lot about him. Yeah, and he's a real quiet kid. He doesn't draw a lot of attention to himself. The inverse of Blake Croyder. He doesn't trash talk. Ever. If, if, I don't think I've ever seen him trash talk. No, he just, you ever. know, give me the ball, let me serve. Okay, next And believe it or not, guys, there's a lot of trash talk in college tennis. Like, it's the most, as Charlie always says, it's the most passive-aggressive and thing ever. And at some ever. point, it becomes too much, and it's like, seriously, everyone just stop. This is... It, it, well, speaking of trash talk... I, it was great for us to get the win regardless, but how great was it to beat that Mississippi State team? Like, just explain to the fans that weren't there what that team was like. Okay, well, they were constantly shouting, too good. Like, they would, they would hit, like, if they would hit their own serve, they would hit an ace, and, like, they would say, too good to their own serve. Yep. Like, not their teammates cheering them on. They would shout these things out about their own shots. And then I was sitting behind court three, and yesterday... Who was on court three? Baptiste Anselmo and Eric, uh, Eric Gavilius yeah. were the, the double team, team yeah. on the third court. They won 6-1. They dominated and, them. And the Mississippi State players were constantly screaming. Talking so much trash. It, it was so obnoxious. Like, they were getting murdered. And, and murdered they, and they, they were talking so much. They brought all the trash talk on themselves. And their coach. I mean, I think they are a reflection of their coach. Their coach was like talking trash to our players. Like, I, I, I call him talk- talking to our players. The coach started talking before the point was over. Yep. He, like, walked onto the court before a point was over because he was yeah. mad about something. He was mad at the judge. It's like, what are you doing? So, I mean, I, I normally don't care about Mississippi State. And whatever sport, like, I don't – they don't register for me. Like, they're not something that I worry about. But, like, just – this is the second year in a row. They played here in Athens last year. It was the same thing. It's mostly the same players. And they just – they get under my skin. I, I, I don't know. Like, so it was just really great. Obviously, we need that W just to get a W, but to beat that team the way those guys talk, like, Jesus, man, like, talk, like, and I know, like, trash talk happens in every sport, but, like, it, it was beyond trash talk. It was just, like, air, it was pure and utter arrogance, and it just rubbed me the wrong way. So, I was really glad that our guys 
were able to respond in a big way and, and shut them up there. So that was nice. I got to see this stuff too. Manny Diaz. Did you notice how loud and demonstrative Manny was? How active he was? Like most matches, he's not that loud, not that active. I think he was far more active, far louder, far more demonstrative on the court Sunday against Mississippi State than maybe any time I've ever seen him. Yeah, I can agree with that. What do you think accounted for that? Like, what? Well, why Blake, was the difference? Blake was losing, and Blake feeds off of noise and yeah, the crowd and his teammates. So he was trying to get them to get loud. I think it has to do. Like, I think Manny realized how big this match was. Well, they well. I don't think, I mean, down two players, or a player and a half. Well, down your know, number one singles. Every, literally everyone's on singles is playing it up It was court. a big test without Trent. It was a huge test. Blake we already started off 0-2 in conference. You don't want to start off 0-3, then go to Florida, to South Carolina this weekend. I think this was a massive match for us. I think Manny knew that. And we need to, we need to get on a roll here. We need to get a W. And uh, I had, I mean, there are times when, when he, he gets loud and he, he gets animated, but I, I don't think I've ever seen him as consistently active and loud and demonstrative as I did yesterday at the Damon Gold Tennis Complex. It was great to see. It was awesome. He was into it, man. He was shouting things all over the place. It was, it was, it was, it was great. It was great, man. It was, it was a really fun afternoon. And I hope some of you were able to make it out there. I had a huge crowd. Did you notice, like Charlie? I know, like what two hundred seventy-five people is the capacity, right? Yeah. Uh, do you think there were only two hundred seventy-five people there? Maybe. I don't know, man. Like I didn't look. Like I yes, the see. it's all the lower level is all socially distanced. But if you looked up at the, did you look up at the top? No, I can never see up there. I'm it was too packed. Short. It was packed. That's good. I mean, it was fantastic. So I'm telling you guys, it's free. Get out there. It's first. It's technically first come, first serve. But two, the first 275 to get in there. I think there was more than 275 in there on Sunday. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But it was a great afternoon. It was awesome. I'm telling you guys, come out if you want to get out and enjoy the weather like Charlie does. Um, it's a great afternoon, man. It's a lot of fun. And we have matches about every weekend, the next couple of weekends, whether it's the men's or the women's team. Uh, and of course, Charlie, a couple minutes here. Can't get out of here without talking about the third-ranked Georgia women's tennis team. They had another fantastic weekend with the Mississippi sweep back-to-back 4-0 victories. We don't have as much to say about this weekend's matches for the women because they were on the road. And Friday's match, there was no live video, which is really annoying. Uh, because they had to play indoors, and I guess the Ole Miss indoor facility doesn't have live video. So we get to, get, did not get to watch that. I got to watch a couple of the matches, the tail end of a couple of the matches on Sunday after the men's match. Uh, but Charlie, I, what I want to talk about is a couple of players on this women's team that we haven't maybe talked about as much on this podcast. Morgan Coppock had two dominant performances over the weekend, 6-2, 6-1 against Ole Miss, 6-1, 6-1 against Mississippi State. And fifth-year seniors Marta Gonzalez and Elena Christoffi both got wins over the weekend on courts five and six, respectively. Like, we all know that Katarina Jokic is the best singles player in America on court one. We know that Meg Kowalski is a beast on court three. We know how talented Leah Ma is on court two. We've talked about all three of those players. But how important are those three girls in the pit on courts four, five, and six? You can pretty much count on them in any match. Are you getting to that point with Morgan now? Yeah. Because think back to when we made the run to the national title match, right? On court four, we had Vivian Wolf, who was an absolute monster on court four. I was hoping, I thought she would come back, but she went pro. And I don't want to say it was a void there last year, but we missed Vivian at times. I think Morgan Coppock has the talent to be as good as Vivian was in 2019. Is that crazy? I'll say this. If she can win in straight sets. She hits such a heavy ball. She puts when a she, lot into if it. If she has to go into a third set, I simply worry about fatigue. 
Because she put so much into it. She plays so It's kind of like Phil hitting on the men's side. He, he, yeah. he put so much into the ball, into striking a heavy ball, that you get into a third set. It's like, how much juice has this guy got left? I, I've always liked Morgan. She's And I want to give her some credit. She's a girl that wasn't always in the lineup her first couple of years, but she didn't transfer. She stayed. She worked. And now she's a critical part of this team. She's in the doubles lineup. She's in the singles lineup on court four. And and she had, you know... She, her and Elena Christoffi are ranked like number 37 yeah, or something yeah. in doubles. As a doubles team, they're playing really well on court too. Uh, but I mean, how she's playing right now, like... There was an adjustment there the early part of the season. Now we were playing some top 10 teams like North Carolina and Florida State where she had some losses there. But she has really come on lately. And I mean, she thought dominated over them again. 6-2, 6-1, 6-1, 6-1 against SEC competition. That's big time stuff. So if she can continue that, I mean, that's huge. I mean, think about when we made that title, the run to the title. I want to say title run, but it wasn't a title run. We made the run to the national title match in 2019. I think that like Kat is so great on court one. We know that. But I think the strength of the team was courts four, five, and six. When you have Met Kowalski, who just never lost on court six, it's always going to be a win. Elna won the vast majority of the time on court five. And then Vivian Wolf won the vast majority of the time on court four. If we can replicate that this year with Morgan Coppock on court four, Marta Gonzalez, who used to play court two and court three at times early in her career, on court five, and Elena on court six, that is a strong lower three courts. I think that could be huge for this team moving forward. But uh, we have a huge home weekend this weekend for the women's tennis team. We got Florida and South Carolina coming into town. Florida on Friday at 4 p.m., South Carolina on Sunday at 1 p.m. The men will be on the road doing the, the reverse. They're, they're going to be on the road at Florida, I think, 5 o'clock on Friday, and then on the road at South Carolina. Florida's ranked number 11 on the men's side. South Carolina's ranked number 18 on the men's side. We were ranked 12 coming this weekend. We'll see what the new rankings say. We'll probably be right around there with all the injury issues. But it's going to be a big weekend for both the men's and the women's tennis teams. And, of course, we'll have this cover for you guys next week as well. But come on out, guys. It's a huge match on Friday for the for the ladies. Come on, check them out. 4 o'clock here in the Classic City. Is the weather supposed to be nice, Charlie? I know you're all about checking the weather. 63. Woo! 63 and sunny? Yes. On a Friday afternoon? Yes. Get to watch some Georgia tennis? Yes. I can't think of many things better than that in March. You know, if it's college football, college football is better. But it's March. So come on out, guys. Support the team. They're awesome. It's great weather, great time, and the Classic City, you can't be the Classic City, right? So come up here, watch your team, go have some dinner downtown, have a great old time. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. Thanks for listening. Curtis and I will be back later this week for part three of our performance review series. But that's it for now. So for Charlie, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>